Good morning, Rebirth. What an atmosphere of praise and worship this morning. God's faithful um, to prayer, to the answering of prayer, just meeting us uh, this morning. We can feel his tangible presence in the house. What an honor. Glory. Um, I know you, you would have seen this morning also that uh, the projector also decided it wants to go um, perhaps on holiday uh, into 2024, but we have prayed over it. So you saw things got better immediately after. Amen. So this morning um, we will be venturing back into the Psalter for the last time this year, the book um, of Psalms, and we'll be doing Psalm 6 as an end uh, to the old year and going into uh, the new year, if that's okay. Uh, we'd like to say welcome back to our beloved Green family. Where, they, where are they hiding? Um, they're on the outskirts of Rebirth. <laughs> um, welcome back um, to the three of you. We thank God for uh, safe traveling mercies. Uncle Marky, we see you back in the house. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We miss you when you're not there. Um, so B and I had a good chuckle at the beginning um, of December. We were at one of the local malls in, um, in game stores. And uh, as we were walking behind us somewhere, I heard voices of a family uh, talking. Um, and, and just to put a picture in your mind, it sounded like one of those old aunties with a thick accent from, from the hood type of a thing. And she um, was asking one of the other uh, kids in the family about um, where one of the other family members is. And in a strong accent, they said back, obviously in the paint section, looking for paint specials. And Burns and I had a, had a bit of a laugh um, because if you know my mother-in-law, where it comes uh, close to the festive uh, season, there's one thing that gets bought is paint. There's one thing that gets bought is paint. The house must be painted. We must enter into the new season in a clean house. Anybody else have mother-in-laws like that? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I had a look at other traditions for entering into the new year from across the world. So Brazilians uh, believe that wearing white on New Year's Eve is a great way to bring peace into your life. It's a symbol of purity and of innocence. Colombian households have another tradition. Okay, It's called Aguerra. Um, they place three potatoes under each family member's bed. One is peeled, one is not, and the last one is partially peeled. So at midnight, what you're going to do is Go under your, 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 your bed, reach uh, out, reach, or reach under there and pull a, a potato out. So based on what you're pulling out, you can expect a year of good fortune, of financial struggle, or a mixture of both. Careful with those potatoes, eh? So in Puerto Rico, and in Ennardale, it's um, customary to start the year by cleaning everything. Anybody from Ennardale in the house? And I can't tease Ennardale because I also live there. I also live there. So we mean they clean everything, absolutely everything. The idea behind it is simple. Out with the old and in with the new. In short, you start the year fresh. If you start the year fresh, it will continue in that way. So here's one we might want to adopt. In India, they build a sculpture of an old man and burn it down. The burning symbolizes the passing of grievances from the old year and makes space for a new year to be born. Hey, we can do with this, eh? So this morning, we're going to be looking at Psalm 6, more or less in the same um, light, evaluating and making sure that our house is in order. Amen. But before we go into Psalm 6, we'll have a quick recap um, on the book of Psalms as we normally do. Please do visit our Podbean app. 
Um, if you haven't listened to our, our previous sermons, so you can just get a full um, review of what it is we've delved into. We've been busy with uh, the, the Psalm to the Book of Psalms, as I've said. So the entire book, uh, collection of Psalms um, is a collection of poetry, okay, largely consisting of prayers and songs giving praise to God and also encouraging faith, right? It also gives voice to human emotions, as you'll see as we delve into the Psalms. There's a lot of uh, human emotions surrounding sorrow, fear, and joy as well. So the origin of the word Psalms, the entire collection of Psalms um, was called Praises or the Book of Praises in the Hebrew text. Later, when it was translated into the Old Testament, uh, Greek, uh, 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 Old Testament, the Septuagint, it was labeled then Psalms. As we know, the Greek verb psalmos means the plucking or twanging of strings, which implies that we're going to have a musical accompaniment to the psalm. So the psalm wasn't meant to just read silently to yourself. It was a communal um, expression accompanied by song for the Israelites. Okay, so the overall purpose of psalms is to engender the proper praise and worship of God. Let's just make sure we have this on. Okay, so as we know and as we've already shared before, Psalms is divided into five books. We are in book one, um, doing Psalm 6. Um, Psalms 1 to Psalms 41 makes up uh, book one, so we're not going to delve further into that. We are in book one, and all of these books are compared to the Torah, okay? So the first five books of the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So we've got book one, emphasis of mankind's relationship with God. So when we look at Psalm 6 today, we do it in twofold. In context of the psalm itself, but also in context of the book in which it appears. Emphasis of mankind's relationship with God. So, this, the, the, the book of Psalms, if we remember, begins with Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. Psalm 1 begins with a beatitude, blessed be the man. Okay? It's not a prayer, it's not a hymn, it's a statement of human existence. Psalm 2, so now you've got Psalm 1 opening the door with blessed is a man, Psalm 2 the ends with the beatitude, blessed are they who trust in the Lord. So we've got these two psalms that are different from the other psalms. They are actually used as a double door into the rest of the book of Psalms. So it invites us, the reader, to read the rest of the book as a guide to a blessed life. Okay, so that's how we look at the psalms. So Psalm 6 that we delve in today, which is labeled a prayer of faith in a time of distress, the sermon title that I'm going to subtitle under that label is the good news. And anybody want good news, good way to, to, to end the old year going into the new year. Amen? Amen. Somebody likes good news over here. Let's pray. We've even got some music to go with our prayer. Amen. No, it's about Psalms. Music is allowed. Father, we thank you so much for a time in your presence this morning. Lord, we thank you for just coming down to where we are. Father, we feel your presence this morning. Lord, we thank you and we don't take it for granted that we can be found in your presence. We are reminded this morning to be thankful. And that is so according to your word. Father, we are thankful that you are in this place with us. We are thankful for every person, every soul, every spirit that is in this place to worship this morning. Father, we pray for hearts that would receive your word this morning. We pray for fertile ground this morning. And Lord, we pray. I pray that you would anoint my lips. 
Holy Spirit, that you would speak, all of you and none of me. This I pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So, uh, Pastor B, thanks once again for the opportunity to share God's word and, and a special time um, such as this. It doesn't um, uh, get taken very lightly. It comes with a lot of uh, pressure, a lot of um, sweat standing up here. Um, so, appreciate that. So, this morning, if you... Um, would please let's turn to uh, Psalm 6 in your, your Bible for the reading of God's Word. If you are there, give me an amen. So I'm going to, to read through Psalm 6, and then we are going to delve into Psalm 6 a little bit in terms of just what the scripture or the, the context of the scripture is about, but also then finding out about um, the the, where, where can we find the gospel? Where can we find Jesus in the scripture? And how does it actually apply to, to our lives? Okay, is that okay? Amen. So, everybody there, Psalm 6? Let's read. So, it's titled there, A Prayer of Faith in Time of Distress to the Chief, uh, and then it says, To the Chief Musician with Stringed Instruments, on an eight-stringed harp, a psalm of David. And as you can see on, on screen, the words that are kind of like in red there, those are taken from other translations just to make it a little easier for you to understand as well. But I will be reading from the New King James Version. From verse 1, O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure, have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord, deliver me. O, save me for your mercy's sake. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In the grave, who? will give you thanks. I am weary with my groaning. All night I make my bed swim. I drench my couch with my tears. My eyes waste away because of grief. It grows old because of all my enemies. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity, for the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. Let all my enemies be ashamed and greatly troubled. Let them turn back. Let them turn back and be ashamed suddenly. The Lord bless to us the reading of his word. Amen. All right. So Psalm 6 is a lament psalm and we have um, gone through the structure of a lament psalm uh, before as you can see the structure on the screen where we have a an address addressing of god an introductory uh, petition um, and then we have the actual lament or the complaint that is being brought before god confession of trust in god um, a further uh, uh, petition and then a vow of praise be to God and thanksgiving in anticipation um, of the prayer being answered. So you'll see um, for most lament psalms that type of structure coming to the fore. But Psalm 6 has further been defined as a penitential psalms. So penitential psalms are traditionally used for self-examination and for confession of sins. So an apt time for self-examination before we go into the new year. Amen. So penitential uh, comes from the Latin root panetera, which means cause or to feel regret. Penitentiary is derived from the Latin term penitentia, meaning repentance. So we all know the word penitentiary, right? Prison uh, or place of confinement used to hold and correct criminals who have been convicted of uh, serious crimes, or as they call it in the States, uh, felonies. So we see that there's a judicial um, system in place which requires confession of sin, 
it requires a price to be paid and when the price is paid in full freedom that's how the judicial system works right there's a spiritual uh, um, system that works just like that okay so confession of sins a price to be pray, uh, to be uh, paid after the confession of sin and once it has been paid in full there is freedom so if we look at, uh, at the penitential psalms, there's actually seven of these that are, that are named as penitential psalms. And as you can see on screen, Psalm 6, 32, 38, 51, 102, 130, and Psalms 143. These psalms um, for doctrinal teaching were appropriated to the seven deadly sins. And as you can see here, you've got Psalm 6, which was, um, again, speaking against wrath. Uh, Psalms 32 against pride, 38 against gluttony, 51 against lust, 102 against avarice. This is um, an, an intense greed for material things or for wealth. We've got Psalm 130, which is a psalm against envy and then against sloth. Today we're doing Psalm 6, as you can see, but I've also highlighted Psalms 51. Okay, Psalms 51, the, the psalm against lust, was penned at a time where the prophet Nathan um, spoke out against David. He, he condemned David and said to him, listen, rebuked David and said, um, you are caught in the act of adultery. Wait, there's more. And murder, okay, um, of Bathsheba's husband. Now, not many of us have, have sinned maybe at that level. Okay, of, of, of murder or adultery plus murder um, and many other things. But we can agree that we have sinned, right? Yeah. And we continue to sin. Yeah. So we've got to come before God and confess our failings to God. We learn from David um, on how to do that. In a remarkable way, the penitential Psalms actually capture the gospel message so if you look at 1 john 1 9 if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all our unrighteousness and this in essence what the penitential psalms is all about there's not one of us that is sitting here this morning that is without sin every single one of us this morning needs to look on the inside and I know we're preparing for the whole of 2024 and clean houses and all of those. But what about right now? Yeah. What about right now? So I've always got that. Um, I've always got that clock in the in, in mind where Zoe is concerned. So uh, I, I tend to hurry along. So we're going to get into. Uh, Psalm 6, and I'm going to take them in, in their different strophes, and we'll go through those, like I've said. Remember, we're going to look at the psalm itself. We're going to look at the uh, parallel of Jesus in the scripture and how this actually applies uh, to us now. So Psalm 6 that, that we have on screen, and like I said, it was titled, A Prayer of Faith in a Time of Distress. Okay. To the chief musician, and uh, some say that it's the choir master of the time, or perhaps perhaps uh, God himself, that this is addressed to, um, with string instruments as promised, will be accompanied by music. In this case, a, a, an eight-stringed harp. I didn't want to get myself involved in uh, too much of the, the musical terms. There was uh, something about an octave that was, that was spoken about. I didn't want to use it incorrectly because I would feel Dean's eyes on me here. Um, but it is also talking about um, singing the psalm in a low tone, one of the lowest tones. Now we know why Octavian's name is Octavian. <laughs> so, um, the author is simply stated as, as David, as we can see there, a psalm of David. Once again, O oh Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. Have mercy on me, O oh Lord, for I am weak. 
O Lord, heal me, for my bones are troubled. My soul is also greatly troubled. O Lord, but you, O Lord, how long? So the prayer is a passionate appeal to the grace of God against the wrath of God. Okay? It sees the Lord as the giver of life and of death. Um, he recognizes the authority of God here. Are you noticing that in the midst of his turmoil, look at that. Oh Lord, oh Lord, oh Lord, oh Lord. Everything is to God himself. There is no deviation as to who God is in the midst of trouble or not. The psalmist, if we look at the, the as we've read the, the, the scripture or the psalm in its entirety, um, he did complain of three things overall. Number one, sickness of body. Number two, he spoke about trouble of mind as a result of the sickness of body. And the sickness of body was implying that this came from sin, so affecting body and mind. And then also his enemies, which we'll see later on. His enemies that were part of this whole thing and rebuking him and taunting him and all of these things whilst this is going on. Could we be accurate to say sin is, uh, or, or in our lives, is a gateway? Okay, so we see here sin being a gateway for sickness, body, sickness, mind, enemies coming in and using those open doors um, as well. So we're not exactly sure what the, the, the incident was or the case uh, was with David in this particular point in time, what sin he's committed, it's, it's not expanded upon there. What we do know, however, is that God is angry with him. He's begging for mercy from the Lord. So even though uh, Psalm 6 is labeled as a penitential psalm, there's no distinct time where you see David <clears throat> um, going to ask for, for forgiveness, praying for forgiveness. The focus, however, is on his suffering, on his agony that he's experiencing. He's sick in body, he is sick in mind. Now, I'm not saying that all sickness is because of sin. Okay? I'm not saying that. But we do know that sickness in the earth is because of the fall of man. Sickness was introduced into the earth because of Adam's first sin. Um, in the case of Job, for instance, we see, thanks so much, Dean, um, we see a case where Job is inflicted with sin, he loses so much, but it's not because of any sin that Job has committed, right? In fact, it's a test of his ultimate loyalty to God. So let's look at other scripture where sickness is not because of sin, lest we judge. In John 9 verses 1 to 3, now as Jesus passed, he saw a man who was blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him for God's glory. John 11 verses 4, Lazarus's illness. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death. And remember, Lazarus did die, right? But, he says, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, and that the Son of God may be glorified through it once again. So we see in the trend, there is times where sickness will occur for God's glory. All right. Now, there is the inverse to that, uh, to that coin, sickness because of sin. Psalm 38 verses 3. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your anger, nor any health in my bones because of my sin, an acknowledgement of sin. Micah 6 verses 13, therefore I will also make you sick by striking you, by making you desolate because of your sin. What we do see is there's a time for us to do introspection 
There's a time for us to be real before God. And there's a time for us to confess where sin is present. Spurgeon says this, I venture to say that the greatest earthly blessing that God can give to any of us is health. With the exception of sickness. Huh. He says, sickness has frequently been of more use to the saints of God than health has. <laughs> Would you believe that? And why is that? Because sickness gets us to a point um, of total discomfort where we begin to seek the Lord, where we begin to repent uh, before the Lord. It has more use than health is what Surgeon, um, Spurgeon is saying. Sickness can break us down so that we can turn to God and be built up by him. Amen. So if we look at verse 1 and verse 2, we see the use of what is called, so verse 1 and verse 2, we see the use of what is called parallelism. Okay. So this is where the second line intensifies the thought of the first line. Do not rebuke me in your anger. Do not chasten me in your hot displeasure or your wrath. Have mercy on, on me, Lord, for I am weak. Goes on to further intensify how weak I am. My bones are even troubled. My very frame is troubled. Now, the psalmist here is pleading um, to God not to be exposed to a negative experience, but rather a, a, a God's mercy. He says, um, I don't want to be rebuked. I don't want to be uh, chastened in your heart displeasure. Rather, I want to experience your, your mercy and, and, and your healing. But let's read this carefully. Let's read this very carefully where this is concerned. All right. David is not saying, Lord, I don't want you to rebuke me. Lord, I don't want to feel your chastisement. He's not saying that. He's saying, please, Lord, don't do it. Rebuke me, yes. Don't do it in anger. Chasten me, yes. But don't do it in wrath. He's not foolish to say, I've sinned, but turn a blind eye to my sin. He knows there are consequences to what he's done. Jeremiah 10, 24 echoes this. It says, O Lord, correct me, but with justice, not in your anger, lest you bring me to nothing. So Hebrews uh, 12, uh, 6, I'm going to read a couple of verses this morning, just where we see God um, rebuking or chastising us. And we should, family, we should take this um, from the Lord. Good, both good and both bad. How often do we find ourselves in those situations that we go through in life? We want all the blessings from God, but I get Lord, no. The story of rebuke and of, of chasten, Lord, why? And we've heard it can be for his glory and it can be what we perhaps have done. Hebrews 12, 6, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Hebrews 12, 8. But if you are without chastening or chastening of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. We are chastened because we are um, sons of God. We have been adopted. Uh, Job 5, 17. Behold, happy is the man whom God corrects. Therefore, do not despise the chastening of the Almighty. Proverbs 3.11, my son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. Don't turn away from the Lord because he's chastening. It is part of a process. Here's points to note of what we've gone through already. Sin incurs the wrath of God. Sin can cause sickness and it can cause death. But we can petition God. Amen? So we see that David is in such anguish that he's rocked to the core, both mentally, physically, and spiritually. This 
at the very end, but you, O Lord, how long? Very interesting. It sounds incomplete, right? It sounds like, but, but Lord, how long? David has even run out of words. Have you been in agony where you do not even have the words to express what it is that you're going through? But the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us. Amen. Oh Lord, how long? Does this give, you, give us the impression that David's prayer wasn't answered immediately? And this is, this is quite the case. Oh Lord, how long? He, he's come before the Lord. He's come before the Lord. He's prayed to the Lord. You, you saw, oh Lord, oh Lord, oh Lord. But there's silence. There is silence. We're coming before the Lord, but David also shows faithfulness here. In the midst of being chastened, in the midst of God's silence, he is still coming before the Lord. He still recognizes God as God in his life. No other gods, no small G's are being turned to because of God's silence at this point. He still believes that God is hearing, even though God is saying nothing. His hope and his faith is, Lord, you haven't said anything right now. But Lord, how long? means at some point I do expect you to answer. Are we God-centric in the situations of our lives, which is brought on either by our own consequences of what we've done or by the providence of God? Does anybody believe in the providence of God here? All things work together for the good. In the midst of the storm, we have a God who is in our boat. Amen. So David, as we see, endured and only turned to, uh, to the Lord. He stayed in submission to God's will. We see a Jesus parallel here. Before Jesus was arrested and crucified, he said, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. This was not comfortable for David. But Lord, I'll wait on you. How long? Lord, I wait in anticipation. Jesus handed it over to the Father. If you are willing, remove this cup. But if you are not, it's fine. My, your will be done and not mine. So slide nine. Return, O Lord, deliver me. O save me for your mercy's sake. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In the grave who will give you thanks? So, return, O oh Lord, we can see that David experienced separation from God. This is what sin does in our lives. This is the consequences of sin in our lives. Can you imagine everything that, that David was going through? You, you are afflicted in your mind, afflicted in your body, but how much more is this intensified knowing that you are apart from God? This was the test that Jesus Christ himself went through. Isaiah 59 too. But your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. And as um, I've just said now, the Jesus parallel where this is uh, concerned, the separation of Jesus from the Father where he said, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthini. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's Matthew 27, verses 46. If we look at the, the second line in the strophe here, oh, save me for your mercy's sake. David does not ask God to be merciful because of anything good that he has done. There is not one of us that has done enough good in this world that would, that would um, allow for, for God's mercy to take the place because of what we've done. Only he is good. Amen. Amen. Hebrews 13 verses 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. So our hope is not in ourselves because we are the ones that change up and down. Our goodness is not there. But God's goodness, God's unfailing, unchanging faithful way of God is always God. Amen. James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. 
That is where our hope is this morning. And isn't that a beautiful thing? Because um, to have faith in man next to you, you don't know tomorrow what that man will do. But, and this is why I constantly say, you know, we are a church full of imperfect people. Please do not look at any brother and sister next to you and decide to stop serving God because that person is with variation. We look to the God who is the author and finisher of our faith and not Clint and not Bernice and not Nicole and whoever else. Take it before the Lord. Amen. amen. Big amen to that. In, um, in verse 5, and I'm going to read that very quickly. Some, some um, scriptures talk about Sheol, but David talks of death and the grave in which the Israelites believed at that time was a place of stillness that all of the Israelites went to after death. The idea is that the dead do not have the privilege of experiencing God's praise um, publicly. The verse also does express a fear that the psalmist's sin, if not forgiven, will separate him from God's presence forever. That's our reality today. Church, that is our reality. If we pass away from this earth in a state of unrepentant sin, we are separated from the Father. That is the reality this morning. I am weary with my groaning. Hey, this is a special one. So now, church, I'm saying this is a special one because if Pastor Bevan, in his uh, present state, wrote Psalms, <coughs> this would be his verse. Because um, our, our pastor has, uh, has, has mastered the use of something called hyperbole. <laughs> so let's, let's, let's read this in the light of Pastor Bevan. I am weary with my groaning. All night I make my bed swim. I drench my couch with my tears. My eyes waste away because of grief. It grows old because of my enemies. And hyperbole is, is a brilliant way. Uh, these are, are not exactly what was happening uh, to him, but he's expressing how deep his anguish and his pain is. We often see on Facebook, it is Armageddon at the Elliot home. It doesn't really mean there's Armageddon, but we experience the pain that is going on there, and we pray, we pray against Armageddon. Amen. So, the psalmist shares his deep mental anguish in the midst of trouble. He is exhausted. And like I said, he's using hyperbole. You see here in the second line, all night I make my bed. So his bed is not really floating. Okay? His bed is not really floating, but he's showing you how it's, 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 it's literally drenched with liquid, drenched with tears, drenched with what he's going through at this point in time. Um, he says, I drench my couch with my tears. Um, I, all night I make my bed so my eyes waste away. He, he goes on and on and on to show you how distraught he is. His tears have no end because of his, his sorrows. Uh, Spurgeon says that um, as an old man's eyes grow dim with years, so, says David, my eye is grown red and feeble through weeping. Now, David is weeping, sickness of body, sickness of mind, sin in his life. It reminded me of a time when Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible, John eleven thirty five. Now, if you take this into context, Jesus wept. Remember, Jesus was on his way to go and heal Lazarus. Now, Jesus knows that when he gets, I mean, he takes his time to get there. When he comes, he encounters uh, Martha and Mary and uh, sees them in a state of grief. And we could think that at that point in time, Jesus is weeping because he's seeing the sadness and the grief. But does this make sense to you? If Jesus knew, I have the power to raise Lazarus from the dead. And I am going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Why would he be weeping about it? He would see their joy and their pain, and he would still be like, I got this. 
I got this. But Jesus wept. Could it be that Jesus was actually weeping because he, would, he, he knew what he would have to do to get man to wake up from spiritual death? What the cost would be to pay for man's sin? We see um, David weeping here, and it could be because he is also separated from the Father, experiencing the, 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 the sin in his life, experiencing the consequences of these things. We can bear much, but to be cut off from the Father is something totally different. Amen? So, in Matthew 27, verses 39, verses um, 39 to 41, um, we see this where, and, and the Jesus parallel once again, where the, the, the enemies are involved, um, the weight of, of what the person is experiencing uh, in his body, in his mind. This is Jesus on the cross under the weight of our sin with his enemies mocking him. Okay? Same way David was. And those who passed by him blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also, mocking with scribes and elders, said, He saved others. Save him. Why can't he save himself? We're going into verses 8. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. So, so far, just to give you context, we've seen that when sin entered into David's life, when uh, conflict and uh, when he was afflicted by sin entered into his life, we see, number one, that he endured with God only, right? We see, number two, that there was a separation um, from God because of sin. We see also that sin is used by the enemy as it was here. We, sin, we see sin is used by the enemy and God hates sin. Okay? God hates sin. So something must be done about sin. So verses 8. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity, for the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. Let all my enemies be ashamed and greatly troubled. Let them turn back and be ashamed suddenly. So from verse 8, we see David now addressing the troublemakers, the evildoers, the enemy, um, from a point of confidence. From a point of confidence. So, the first line, when I looked at that, depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. It reminded me of a time where Jesus uttered the same words. Okay? Matthew 25, verses 41. Depart from me, you who are cursed into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Matthew 7, verses 23. I never knew you. Away from me you evil doers. So there's a consequence, like we said, for sin. There's a, there can be a cutting away from the Father because of sin. Now David, as we see here, he addresses his enemies, those who are evil, those who are plotting against him. The enemy in our life, we have power over the enemy um, in our lives because of God. Re, being reunited with God. Look at the, the, the verses um, um, after this. He says, remember he was complaining and saying, where are you God? The verses before. Now he's saying, the Lord has heard my voice. He's heard the voice of my weeping. He's heard my supplication. There's a, there, there is a joining to the Father once again. The Lord will, will receive or accept my, my, my prayer. Let all my enemies be ashamed and greatly troubled. Let them turn back and be ashamed suddenly. Now, I look at that and I, and I see almost a cry for, um, for grace. So we see here, 
depart from me, you workers of iniquity. There's going to be a, a cutting off. But let all my enemies be ashamed and greatly troubled. Let them turn back and be ashamed suddenly. There is room for grace. There is room for turning around and acknowledging sin and in acknowledging sin, coming into the fold with the Father once again. But like I said earlier on, the reality is with unconfessed sins, staying in the same state that we are, there are consequences. The consequences are the wrath of God. The wrath of God. If we look very quickly at the experience of David in Psalm 6, we see a parallel representation of the gospel, the good news. So number one, Exodus 20 verses 3 says, You shall have no other gods before me. Remember David, in the midst of his trouble, was only after God's heart with everything. In it. You shall have no other gods before me. Um, point number two, there's a recognition of sin and sickness. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is not one of us here right now that can say I'm okay. We are not okay if we have not repented. We run the risk of forever being separated from the Father. And this is truth. We do not need to wait for 2024. This is now. This is here. This is now. Number three, the pain and suffering brought through sickness and sin. 1 Peter 2, 24. He himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness. That's through him. There is faith that is required. That's point number four. And belief in the one who is able to set us free from sin, sickness, and death. John 19, verses 30, Jesus said, It is finished. It is finished. Hebrew 11, verses 6, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of those that diligently seek him. There are circumstances that we are going to go through in this life, circumstances that bring sickness and pain, which could be as a result of sin. But whether we like it or not, you know, sin in this earth is going to be a part of our lives. But God, through Jesus Christ, has made a way for us to come into perfect unity with him once again. As we have seen through the journey of Psalm 6, um, Gilbert in the, in the book Gospel, uh, the Gospel um, outlines four critical truths which, which I've, I've put up here for us. And he says this, we are accountable to God who has created us. We have sinned against God and we will be judged. God has acted in Jesus Christ to save us. A response is actually required. From you and I. Repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Good works is not going to fulfill what God has done on the cross. Us feeling good about what we've done throughout this year for 2023 is not going to fulfill the mandate. If we rely on our own good works, we run the risk of forever being separated from God. So there's four steps to the gospel. Acknowledgement of God. We have the introduction of man. Okay. Man equals sin. We have Christ who is introduced for our redemption and there is a response required from you and I. There is a response that is required from us. So where is our focus as man? David was very focused on the immediate pain, sickness, and turmoil that he was going through. He might, he might have uh, repented, but we don't see it explicitly laid out here. He might have repented. But where is our focus? Because we go through things like David goes through, right? 
And our immediate concern is for the pain that we are going through. But it stops there. We say, Lord, deliver me from this. And I've been delivered, thank you. There is something bigger, costlier at stake. Your salvation. Your salvation. God has brought sickness sometimes to get us to a point of where we bend our knee and we declare that he is Lord and we say, Father, I give my life to you. I give my life to you because there is no other way. But you, O oh Lord, how long? How long is God going to tarry with us? We are eagerly waiting for 2024. Our souls might be required of us tonight. We might not see 2024. But there is one sure foundation. Jesus, the cornerstone. He's paid the sacrifice for you and I. We have a responsibility. We need to respond in obedience. Isaiah 55 verses 6 to 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God for, for he will abundantly pardon John 10 verses 10 in closing says the thief does not come except to steal to kill and to destroy I've come that you might have life and life abundantly family let's not be concerned with the outer garments the outer houses the painting on the outside but we've not repented on the inside we are whitewashing the walls and continuing into a new phase with our old sin. We are trying to put we are trying to put that new wine into that old wine skin. And we've been warned of what the consequences of that. The message is simple this morning. Jesus Christ has died for our sins. We have a responsibility to him. Jesus Christ, God has created us. We are not of our own. Jesus Christ has created you. You are owned. You are owned. We have a responsibility to him. So this morning, I just want us to, to, to really, really, really think as as we started out with this message and what people are doing like i said the world over in preparation for a, a new you and a new me on the outside jesus is requiring a change on the inside of our hearts and there's only one way repenting and bending your knee to jesus christ who's made the ultimate sacrifice for us. I'm going to call on our, on our 